Pastor John. Well, kids, you guys can go be dismissed. First or sixth grade, uh, your leader will meet you back there. And uh, I believe, you know, with all the, the chaos, it may get kind of sick of the news. I mean, I know it's, it's serious, but we can't lose our joy, guys. Amen. We still got to stay full of faith and that life is worth living. Uh, here's what I know. Okay, listen to me. The coronavirus is going to hit Idaho. People are going to get it. Okay, people that are, there'll probably be casualties, all right, just like with the normal flu. So it's not something that's like epidemic freak out, I don't believe, and it's going to pass, okay? So don't lose your faith over it, amen? Be smart, wash your hands, don't kiss somebody that doesn't belong to you, okay? <laughs> Keep your lips to your own spouse, which that should be just common knowledge anyway. Uh, but, uh, but we're going to have some fun today because I believe, it, you guys, y'all know me, I mean, there's stuff that I find humor in things that other people don't find humor in, and I post things, and I think it's funny, and then I, I just got to be super careful, uh, but I do have a couple things I want to give away today. I'm looking for somebody who maybe has an anniversary today, like a wedding anniversary. Is anybody today, or had one close, like who's got the closest anniversary to today's date? I need, who's had an anniversary in like the last, Tara? 17th. Of what? March 17th. Anybody closer than, than you? You are the winner, and I'm, I'm doing the throw today. My hands are clean. Nice catch. All right, what about, what about birthday? Anybody got a birthday today or close? Now you, now you all know what the prize is. You're like, uh, it's been my birthday for like a week. When? March 8th. Has anybody had a clo- birthday closer than March 8th? April 27th? No, that don't count. All right, March 8th. Wow, nobody, nobody's had a birthday since March 8th. What happened that year? Um, here you go. That's all you. All right. Okay, this one, I'm looking for a hand here. Who owes taxes? Who owes taxes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was looking for a really fast hand right there. I think you pay taxes, you should get some TP. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, hey, let's get into this. We are starting a new series today. Uh, it's titled Determined. And um, I've never preached from a boat before, but I thought it'd be kind of a humorous thing to do. Um, again, I may think it's funny. You may not. But as long as I'm smiling, we're all happy, right? Um, and you'll find out the reason we're going to talk about Peter today when, when Jesus told them all get in the boat and Peter steps out of the boat. So that's why I'm in the boat. And it does feel weird to stand up and talk, actually, because I've been sitting down for so long. Um, but uh, anyhow, let's get to this, and uh, it's titled Determined is the series. So Father, thank you for this word. I just ask again that you open up our hearts. I thank you again that you are in control. Uh, we do pray for our country. Lord, I thank you uh, for a president who has asked us to pray and declared a national day of prayer. And so we pray your protection over this country. I pray your will would be done. I pray for the protection of lives um, in the Treasure Valley, in our area, in our church, that you protect those who are most vulnerable to this virus, that you keep them from it. And we just love you and give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. I want to tell you a little bit of a foundation for this series. Um, is one of the biggest heartbreaks of ministry is seeing people give their lives to Jesus Christ but fall away. That is one of the things that will make a pastor or set, or if you've led anybody to Jesus, to, to see them in a big old mess but get out of the mess by getting saved and then slowly drift away and, and no longer serve God. Um, it's one of the things that, that hurts my heart. The thing that makes my heart joyful is somebody who gets out of the mess, gets their life to Jesus, and they just keep going. They just, they're determined just to keep serving God, to keep doing what God has asked them to do. Uh, but some people, I should say some people, all of us come with a self-destruct button. 
Every single one of us have a button that we can push by making bad choices that seems to be self-destruct. Do you know of anybody who just seems to keep pushing the button? I mean, all of us probably know someone who just pushes the self-destruct button by their choices, um, and others choose to stick it out. We all have the button, but not everybody chooses to push it. What is the biggest factor? I've come up with determination, that, that we're determined to serve God, determined to do what's right, and I've learned this, that winning and losing isn't always about who has the most ability. Often it comes down to the person with the most determination. Have you seen the movie Rudy? Rudy's one of my favorite movies because he's like the underdog. But what does Rudy have that most other people don't have? He doesn't have this really the physical stature or the ability, but he's got the passion. He's got the determination that he is going to play football for Notre Dame. Um, and it's a really, really inspiring movie to me uh, because it's someone who again has a goal and they're gonna do what they can to achieve that goal. I wanted to create a series that focuses on helping Christians stick it out because we really do give up too easy. Our country was built on determination. Okay, the West was settled not by quitters but by people that came across the prairie without loads of toilet paper and they made it. Matter of fact, if you are visiting today, we, I promise you, we do, we have toilet paper for you. Um, we also have a tear out you just put your name on it, Pastor Chase will be at the info booth. Um, so I want you to think about something. You can take this home, or you can take this home. <laughs> your choice. <laughs> Seriously, we do. If you're a first-time guest, I think we gave some out uh, for service. And uh, if, if you don't ever come back because you thought the sermon was dumb, at least you'll remember they gave me toilet paper the first time I visited. <laughs> Never has that happened before. So two things new. I'm preaching from a boat, and you'll get TP. <laughs> Great thing. All right? The wood they came across, untamed West, because they had hopes for a better life. That's what they came for. And life isn't really about what happened to you, it's about what you do with it. I use this often, it's the what and the how. To me, this helps me stay focused. What do you want your life to look like and how are you gonna get there? Men, what do you want your wife to look like and how is she gonna get there? You gotta give her money. Amen. She's got to buy some clothes and some shoes and some cool stuff. What do I want my life to look like? How am I going to get there? The what is easy. The what anybody can determine. So everybody can say, this is what I want my life to look like. All you need to do is look at Pinterest. Pinterest will show you this is what can happen. The how is where we get hung up. The how is what's hard. We want the what. I want the what. I want this. How are you going to get there? And I believe that when we approach life that way, uh, we will accomplish those dreams that God has for us. See, the what is easy, it's the how that trips us up. Why? Because how is hard. The how we get there is hard. I want a great marriage. Well, then marry the perfect woman, right? You know, the problem is with the perfect woman, she ain't interested in you. Right? Right? A perfect marriage, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Is there a great marriage? Absolutely, I'm in one. How do we get there? It's we learn to love each other. Learn to be patient, learn to give. The how is hard. I said at first service that Pinterest is of the devil. That's not really what I wrote. I wrote Pinterest is dangerous. Why is Pinterest dangerous? Because it gives you the finished product. Pinterest shows you this is what can be. And when you have a wife like mine who, when we go to bed, I read in my Bible, she's reading her Bible, only it's Pinterest. Pinterest is her Bible. She's like, great things. My wife's a dreamer, very creative. And she's looking at 50 projects that we need to do by tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, 
baby, you need to get off Pinterest, right? She's, she's creative. She loves it. I don't think I've ever spent more than a minute on Pinterest, but I've spent more than a minute doing things that Pinterest said my wife was interested in, like these projects. Pinterest is dangerous because it just shows you the finished product, not necessarily how to get there or what it's going to cost you or how long it's going to take. So again, the what is easy, the how is different. Pinterest shows you the finished product, not the process. But success can only come with determination. Before I introduce to you my title, I want you to look at your neighbor or whoever's sitting next to you and say this, you're so cute, you're distracting me. But depending on who you're talking to, the title of the message is The Danger of Distraction 2.0. a couple years back, I preached a message that had the same title, but a different message. But I thought this was fitting for today. The danger of distraction. I preached in a youth conference several years ago, and my title was, Don't Let Attraction Become Distraction. Talked to a bunch of teenagers. Don't let attraction become distraction, because attraction is good, God made it, but it can be distracting to pursue the things of God. I've known a lot of people who were serving God and they got attracted to somebody who wasn't that interested in serving God and they went that direction. And their, their like life goals like changed all of a sudden because the attraction became distraction. And God doesn't want us for that or doesn't want us to do that. Why is distraction so dangerous? Here's my answer. The reason distraction is so dangerous is that it undermines determination. Attraction, I'm sorry, distraction is dangerous because it undermines determination there are more distractions now than any other time in history. What do you have right now in your pocket or in your hand? Okay, it can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing. It can be your Bible app, you can be looking at your Bible or you can be looking at other things that you're not that interested in. I'm looking at Pinterest because you have not my interest, Pastor. Anybody ever said that? You said that in your mind? I just made that up, that's why it was a terrible rhyme. I'm looking at Pinterest because you have not my interest. It's a little King Jamesy. so those of you who like King James, I just used it. Go home happy. There's more distractions than any other time in history. What, what makes a laser effective? Why is a laser effective? It's focused light. That's what a laser is, okay? You can have a broad light and you can have a laser light. What's a laser light do? It will cut things. It will burn things. It can heal things. It can fix things. But it has to have focus in order for it to work. Now, the news lately has been, <laughs> I should say lately, news always does this. It feeds your fears instead of faith. I'm here today to tell you that, yes, there are some things that could cause some fear. I don't want to get the virus. I don't want my wife to get the virus. I don't want you to get the virus. I don't want that. But we can live in so much fear that we don't have any faith that God's going to get us through this. We had that big cloud come through this morning. I don't know if you're, you probably were awake. Uh, but the big old rainstorm came through, and then the sun starts shining. And I thought, you know, this is just kind of like the virus. It's going to come. It's going to hit us. We're going to get it. There's going to be casualties. But it will pass. By the end of the summer... We'll be at your house eating barbecue and lighting toilet paper torches on fire and swinging them around because you have so much, Um, which does work. You can actually make a torch with it. Um, Not today, but I'm sure. But the news feeds your fears instead of your faith. So I would say be educated, be wise, but don't consume so much of the news that you just live in fear. That's not what God has for us. Amen. Be smart but don't be so afraid. So this is what the news does because they know that fear creates ratings. Here's words that they use. They use the words possible. And I want you, next time you listen to this, read the words or listen to them. Possible, could, and then they use adjectives like horrific, possible mass casualties, potentially catastrophic, 
potentially deadly, major, developing, breaking news. Breaking news. A duck got ran over in the Boise Park. Breaking news. We really know it was a goose because the news lies, right? But a duck did get hit. What do they do? They tell you things to get your attention. And so I, I just want us today to focus, again, not on being flippant, like, wow, well, whatever, I'm not gonna wash my hands. No, be smart, but don't be afraid. Let's get into the main lesson now, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 through 33. The setting here uh, leaves off from last week, and Jesus just fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. Amazing miracles. Everybody is absolutely exhausted. They are so tired because they were tired when they got into this mess. Now they're getting out of the mess, and Jesus tells them to do something. So it starts off in verse 22, chapter 14 of the book of Matthew. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Stephen, isn't that a great verse? We can be like Jesus. I'm going to the mountains. I can see Stephen going, Rhoda, I'm going to be like Jesus today. I'm going to go to the hills. Uh, I'm going to go to the hills to pray, all right? And how can you argue with that, right? And so Jesus went up to the hills to pray because he was exhausted, because that's what he was trying to do when all the people came to him last week. Uh, And so he went up to the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus goes on to the mountain. He tells the guys, get in the boat, start rowing that way. We're going to go to Gennesaret. You got to go that direction. I'll catch up with you later. I believe from reading other gospels, Jesus can actually see the boat because he's up on the hill and I think he's watching them. He knows how far away they are. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Here are these fearless fishermen. Ah! Only it was probably worse than that. They cried out in fear. They were scared. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. I believe that's what he would tell you today. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked to, the, to Jesus. And as he was walking to Jesus, he was like, bros, check me out. I think he was a little cocky. I think he was kind of like, look at me, I'm walking on the water. And then he saw something that had already been going on around him, and that was the wind and the waves. And as soon as he focused on the wind and the waves, he sank. And he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches down and grabs his hand, and it says they both got into the boat. Jesus looks at him, and he says, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then they get into the boat. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat and the wind died down. Those who were with them in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. And they landed at Gennesaret. One one, uh, author says that as soon as Jesus got on the boat, it was instantly to the other side. Okay, it's kind of cool. I read all the gospels and all their different stories. Same story, just different views of it. And it's as soon as you step in the boat, they were at the other side. Wouldn't that be cool? Like when you leave Hawaii and it's an overnight flight, you, you get in and all of a sudden, boom, you're at home. That'd be awesome. It'd be that way. By the way, flights are really cheap to Hawaii right now if you want to go and visit Mark and Georgian, who may be watching online. Uh, 324 bucks round trip. But who wants to fly right now? I'm full of faith. I'm not sure that I'm full of that much faith. All right. Here's what Jesus did. Let's talk about the story and then I'll let you go home. Verse 22, what did Jesus do here? It says Jesus did something. He made the disciples get into the boat 
and go on ahead. Now, how often does Jesus make you do anything? Not very often, right? He tells you what to do, and if you don't, there's consequences. But there's not many times in Scripture where Jesus actually made people do something. I think he made them get in the boat because they were exhausted, and that's what they needed. And what did he say? Go to the other side. And God doesn't do this often in our life. The what here is the destination, okay? That's what Jesus says, get in the boat, and that's the what. There's a place I need you to go, so you need to get in the boat. How are you gonna get there? What's the destination? How is what? It's the boat. It's what I'm in. And I have no idea why my arms are crossed because it's not very comfortable, but I'm gonna switch them and grab the wrong one. Okay, what do I want you to do and how are you gonna get there? I want you to go to the other side and this is how you're gonna do it. Get in the boat, that's what I want you to do. How, how are we gonna get to the other side? By being in the boat and rowing. What, how? What does God want? How am I gonna get there? And Jesus gives us some little simple instructions. Get in the boat and go. And then he goes and recharges in the hills. He says he was alone, but he was not alone. He was with his father. He was praying. He was physically alone, but his father was there. He did this often. Why did he do this? Because there's a danger in depletion. There's a danger in being exhausted. Jesus was doing all these things, and yet he was in the flesh. His flesh got tired, and he needed to recharge. And there are times in life that we run ourselves ragged, and we're really no good to anybody when we're exhausted. God's like, you know, you're tired and I, I, I know you're a Christian, but I really don't want you to be around people right now because you're not a very good example of what a Christian is right now. Because you're tired and you're cranky, you need to go eat some food and take a nap. How many of you have ever got yourself into trouble because you were tired and said things that just were, wow, the whole church, let's just have an altar call right now. Um, all of us have done that. When I get tired, I get a little cranky and my mouth becomes a little looser than it should be. So it's important to recharge. It's important, I believe, to get to the mountains. If that's what Jesus did often, never do I see, and Jesus went into the city to recharge. Not one time where you ever see, and Jesus went to a bunch of crowds of people to recharge. Now that might be your thing, but that's not the Jesus thing. I'm gonna do what Jesus wants us to do. And I believe we need to get alone with God whether it's on a river or on a lake, just to get alone to hear his voice. It's important to do that. Why? Because God knows we need to be recharged, to refocus. Now, the cross was his destination. Healing people and feeding people wasn't the main reason Jesus came. He did those things on the way to the cross, but that wasn't his main purpose. His main purpose was to endure, and he was determined to do the best he could do while he was on this earth, and what he could do was perfect because he was perfect because he's God. Now, we're not like that, okay? We mess up, and God has grace for that. Now, verse 24, what Jesus knew but didn't tell them. He said, get in the boat and go. Get in the boat and go. What he didn't tell them was the wind would be against you. He didn't tell them there's going to be resistance. I am gonna tell you what to do and where to go, and it's going to be a fight. And some of you may be in that today, that you're just doing what God has asked you to do, and it's like this wind is blowing, and you're rowing, and it's like, what in the world is going on? This is hard, and just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God. Hey, when you're trying to do what God asks you to do, there's going to be resistance because I believe this. Discouragement comes when things don't go the way we expect them to. And there's almost always going to be resistance to things that are important. Almost always. Will there be resistance to things that are important? Things that are worth pursuing. And it's in these times that what you are and who you are will be tested. See, determination can only be tested if there's resistance. One of the books that changed my life as a kid, inspired me to greatness, was The Little Engine That Couldn't. No. No. You ever read that book, The Little Engine That Couldn't? The little engine that, that just said, I'm too small, I can't make it up that hill. 
I'm not as big as the other engines, so I'm just gonna sit in the station because it's, it's just chill here. I can just sit here, I don't have to burn any fuel, I can just drink coffee, I can talk to the big dogs, but I never have to get up that hill because I'm just too small. No, the, the book that made a difference in my life was the en- little engine that could. It was a little engine that said, yeah, it's a big hill, but I think I can. I know it's scary, but I think I can. I don't care what the other engines are saying, but I think I can do this. And what did the little engine do? He started going and he started trying. And what's he saying to himself? I think I can, I think I can. Maybe I should have made this message called I think I can. Amen. I'm determined. What, with the little engine, he starts chugging and he's working, he's working. And it's not, not easy. He's having a hard time, but he's chugging. And once he gets toward the top, what's he start saying? I know I can. I know I can. I know I can. And some of us today, we're stuck in the station because we're like the little engine that couldn't. Well, nobody believes in me. You know what? God believes in you. That gives you enough strength, I hope, to start saying, you know what? I think I can do this. Because if you tell yourself you can't do something, you probably won't. What I love is determined people. I love determination. I love people that don't always have the gifts and the abilities, but they got the guts and the the determination to say, you know what? I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to figure out a way to get this. And so I think I can should turn into... I know I can. And then, as we go on, Jesus sees them struggling, and he sees you struggling. He's on the hill, he watches you, you're doing what he told you, you're rowing, and he sees the wind, and he sees you, and he's with you. You may not see him, but he sees you. He knows where you're at. And he starts walking on the water. One version, I remember, there's three or four that, that talk about it, and I was reading them all. One says that Jesus actually was walking by the boat. So these guys, they're out there going, ah, they're rowing, and Jesus is like, what's up? He just walks by. It honestly, it says as he was passing them, okay? It's an interesting view. As he was passing them, he, they see him, and they're like, ah! They, and then, honestly, they freak out. People that know the sea, know those, they see a ghost, and they cried out in fear. And Jesus, what do you say? Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. It's me. Don't be afraid. You see, familiar can still scare you if you're not expecting it. Why do I say that? Did the wind and the waves just start when Jesus passed by? No, they had been buffeted for hours. They had been seeing the waves and the wind, and and, and all of a sudden, Peter, as he's walking on the water, he sees the wind and the waves, and what happens, what was familiar, what he already knew what was going on, sometimes just freaked him out. I got scared last night, or or a couple days ago, Chris and I and Tanya were upstairs, and uh, we were working on a classroom, and so Tanya left, and Chris and I were still in the room, and Chris is Pinteresting me, like, oh, we could do this, and we could do this, and we could do this. And I'm like, whoa, babe, stop. She's like a full auto. I'm a single shot, but she's like a full auto. Like, bah, 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 bah. And I'm like, whoa, let's, let's do the single shot thing first. Let's pull the trigger here, then we'll get down, because my wife's amazing, creative. She's, she's got a creative mind. And, and I'm like, okay, you get to overload me. Got anybody, like, you just feel, okay, good. I just don't want to not feel alone here. You got to get overloaded with ideas, and they're all good ideas. And, and so, I can't remember what I was going to tell you with that, but, oh, Tanya. So, Tanya leaves. So, as we're in the, this room looking at stuff, Chris is telling me all the stuff we could do, Tanya reappears. She wasn't supposed to come back. And when you have a five foot eleven woman come into the room and say, hey, like that, and you're not expecting it, I was like, whoa, like that. She's like, she started laughing. And I don't scare easy, but she got me because I was focused somewhere else. So we had a good laugh, because um, that's what friends do, but it really got me. That's what happens here. These guys are freaked out, 
Jesus makes a statement, it's I, don't be afraid. And then Peter's response in verse 28, I've preached on this a lot of times. Peter has this response. Peter, if you don't know who he is, and I had to describe him to you in a few words, it would be passionate, often emotional, and high maintenance. That's pop. Peter is just, he's always getting attention. He's always doing crazy stuff. He's always emotional. If you look at his life, it's up and down, it's up and down. It's, God, I love you, I'm gonna die with you. He's like, well, I don't know the guy. I mean, you're talking less than an hour later, I'm gonna die with you, don't know him. And he freaks out, he cries, he, he's all emotional. He gets a lot of press in the Bible. Peter gets a lot of press. And here's what Peter's response is. Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid. Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out. Now the word if there is really important because what does if mean? If means I'm not so sure. When's the last time the word of God came to you and you weren't so sure it was gonna come true? When's the last time Jesus said something to you from the Bible, because he is the word, and you didn't believe it and you started questioning, like, well, God, if this is true, okay, and I harp on tithing because tithing works, it just does. I'm not gonna go, okay, well, if I tithe, well, God, no, God says, if you do, I will bless you, period. I'm just gonna believe what the word of God says. I'm just gonna believe it. I'm not gonna question it. I'm not gonna go, well, I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna say, okay, God, you said it, and that settles it. Amen. Given it shall be given. Yeah. Not God will think about it, right? So we, we look at God's word, and I don't wanna be like Peter. I don't wanna read God's word and go, well, if this is true. That's, I call it shaky faith. It's not no faith, but it's shaky faith. And so Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out, and he does. And again, I think he's feeling pretty cocky until he gets refocused on the winds and the waves, not on Jesus. And Peter's doing it, guys. He is on the water. He is walking on water. Jesus is on the water. He's thinking good thoughts. Jesus, I'm not, he, he knows what's gonna happen. And then Peter, all of a sudden, his focus shifts onto the wind and the waves. And he takes his eyes off Jesus and what happens? He sinks. Now, Peter does something right. He immediately says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him and then he gets into the boat with him. But I wanna talk to you about something that I heard Pastor Stephen Furtick said. He, he said one sentence that made me really think differently about the story. He wasn't even preaching. He just said something and I was like, whoa, you could go somewhere with what he said. And this is what I wanna share with you. So there's a lot of sermons preached on this story. Usually Peter is either the hero or the zero. I've heard it preached both ways. The Peter got out of the boat. Hey, he's the only one that had the faith to get out of the boat, right? The other 11 stayed in the boat, but Peter got out of the boat. And then Peter gets harped on because it's pick on Peter day. <laughs> Until first service, I was like, I don't want to pick on Peter. And I went, wait, no, that would be a lie because I do want to pick on Peter. So we're going to pick on Peter. Uh, so Peter's got the faith to get out of the boat. But what's he do? Oh, he doubts and he sinks and he's like, ah, save me, Lord. Emotional guy, right? So, so Peter's the hero for getting out, but then he's the zero for lacking faith. Because Jesus is like, you have little faith, why did you doubt? But I wanna point out something to you today. Let's look at this reply, okay? From the other 11 that we don't even hear. Backing up to when they were on shore, when Jesus said, get in the boat, go to the other side, that was the command. Did Jesus ever tell them to get out of the boat? No. Not one time. Did Jesus ever say, hey, when, I get, when you get halfway across the water, I'm gonna come walking out, I want you all to have a little faith and get out of the boat. The 11 were simply doing and staying where Jesus told them to stay. They were in the boat. 
rowing to the direction that God said them. They were fighting the wind. Peter was the one that actually was the only one that we see that questions whether Jesus was telling the truth about who he was. Peter's the only one that says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come out. Jesus never said, hey, I want you to question me. The other 11 have never got talked about in really any sermon. They were right where Jesus told them to be. They didn't get out of the boat because he never said to get out of the boat. Who got out of the boat? It was emotional Peter. If you are, then I'm gonna test you. If you really are who you say are, then tell me to get out. You see that there's this doubting here? We talk about doubting Thomas. Peter's a little more guilty. And if he's listening, I'm probably in trouble when I get to heaven. I'll probably have a talk. Probably get to the gates of heaven and Peter's gonna be like, bro, I saw the DVD, on, or the, probably not a DVD, whatever they do in heaven, DVR. It's like, why are you talk smack about me? You want me to let you in? I don't think Peter's at the gate, just so you know, but that's the common belief. I don't want to talk smack about Peter because Peter was, let's just move on from Peter because I, I could be getting in trouble here. I'm not. Who's the only one that questions this? It's Peter. Who's quietly doing what Jesus simply told them to do? The 11, they were simply rowing. They were simply going. They were struggling. They were trying to get to where God wants them to be. And here's what I thought. It seems that those who quietly obey seldom get the attention. And here's where a lot of you are today. And this is why I believe the Lord laid this on my heart to preach to you. There's a lot of you today that you don't have the attention of Peter. You don't have the press. You don't have all this. But you have a steadfastness that you're just simply in the boat that God puts you in and you're just steadily rowing toward the place that he told you to go. You're not making a lot of, of, of you know, complaints and whatnot. You're just simply doing what God has asked you to do. And I need to tell you that God is proud of you for doing that. I really believe that God looks down at many of you with a quiet admiration to say, this is my son and my daughter. And they're just, they're just rowing in the boat. They're not asking if you're real. They're not like Peter going, hey, if it's really you, then I'm gonna try this out. They're just steadily rowing toward the destination that God has for you. And you need to know God's proud of you for that. You may not get all the publicity and you may not get all the press, but you do get God's admiration. I truly believe that. You're not making a scene. You're not posting every problem on Facebook. You're just quietly making and obeying progress in your faith I said that wrong. You're just quietly obeying and making progress in your faith. Not many people see it, but God does. And he's proud of you for that. And I felt I needed to tell you that. So I think that's what God is saying to you today. You're right where I told you to be. You're in the boat. You're not rocking it. You're just rowing. You're going toward the destination that I have for you. And I'm proud of you. All this said, I'm not so sure Peter gets any credit for stepping out of the boat. Just because you get attention doesn't mean you're getting credit for it. See, Peter appears, again, to be the only one questioning Jesus' words, and I think in doing so, he set himself up for failure. Jesus didn't one time tell anybody else, oh, you have little faith, why did you do that? Not one time was Jesus outside of the boat going, hey, 11, you don't have any faith, you're not out here. Not one time does he address the 11, okay? Other than when he said, I don't be afraid. Peter's the only one he's getting talked to. Why? Because Peter set himself up, his doubt set himself up for failure, he had some success, but then he failed. And it's just an interesting way to look at the story that the 11 were simply just doing what God had asked them to do. See, we have a different measuring system than God does. We have a different scoreboard. In my world, as a pastor, uh, there's a, a new phrase out, and it's called celebrity pastors. It's pastors that are famous. 
right? People know who they are. They have big churches. They drive nice cars. They fly jets and they, they get invited to all the big conferences and you see their names and whatnot. And I'm not so sure that that's the right scoreboard. I don't think God looks at certain success of certain preachers and went, wow, they're really doing a great job. And here's why I say this. There's a magazine called Outreach Magazine that is a pretty good magazine. I get it for free. They send it to me. But Outreach Magazine every year on the, on the cover says top 100 churches. Top 100 churches, like the biggest churches in America. 100 churches and it lists from, from the biggest to the 100 smallest. And I look at that and, and you open it up and you read the names and you've heard of pretty much and they got this many, you know, and, and, and I always know that, that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they just look forward to Outreach Magazine coming out so they can see who has the biggest churches. And I'm sure God's thumbing through it and goes, wow, hey, Jesus, do you see this church in, you know, Oklahoma? Well, they got 8,500 people. And Jesus is like, yeah, but did you see the one in Texas? They got 15,000. And the Holy Spirit's like, have you seen the one? And they got 35,000 people. And God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all impressed that these pastors have been able to build these churches and they made the list. Do you think that even crosses God's mind? No, because that's not how God is. Here's what God looks at. He looks at the church as the church. He doesn't care where you meet. If you belong to him, you are the church. And I always, I always laugh when they it's the fastest growing church in Texas. Like, well, how about Christianity is the church, Right? you and I are the church. Where you meet really doesn't matter. And here's the problem, is if I base Outreach Magazine, if I base success of how I pastor, or where I pastor, or who I pastor, based on this magazine, okay, a good Sunday, we have 300 people show up. I'm not even in the top 10,000 probably. And if I base that on, on my worth on, on the magazine, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble because I think we have the wrong scorecard sometimes. We look at the wrong scoreboard. And in your life, you can look at the wrong scoreboard. You can look at another family and go, wow, they do this and they got this and and he's like this and she's like this. And you can all of a sudden feel bad about your scoreboard because you're like, well, my family's not that great because they're always posting these pictures about these great vacations and how much their husband. Guys, I, I shouldn't say this on live. Yes, I should. You need to hear it. Now you wanna know what I say. I have seen couples fight severely and then post pictures on Facebook that everything's great. They got the best husband in the world. I was like, yeah, you're just screaming at him in my office like two days ago. Like, okay, now you're gonna wonder every time, every time who was it? Was it them? Was it them? No, it was probably you, right? It's probably me, okay? Honestly, and I'm looking at it going, yeah, we know different. Chris and I, we just shake our heads. We're like, that's not what you said two days ago or last week or last month. You were ready to divorce and now you, they get the best marriage in the world. We can put that stuff out there to, to make it look like the scoreboard is different than it really is. Why? Because we have messed up scoreboards. So when you base your family or what you think success is with somebody else's family, that's the wrong scoreboard. Here's, here's my challenge for you is that God has called you to be in a particular boat. His question for you is, are you just doing with your boat, going the way that I want you to go to the best of your ability? The problem that we do is we, is we look at our boat and we're pretty proud of this boat. This little boat we bought, uh, five of us, me and my family, went down Indian Creek in this boat. And yeah, the laugh is correct. Because once we got in, it was our first journey down Indian Creek and we're all five in there. We about sank. And if we weren't small, we'd have been in trouble. Because it's like, it says five man raft, it means five children raft. 
okay? And we were like crammed in and we're like, this is not good. And we it was an interesting voyage, okay? Just because it holds five doesn't mean you should put five in it. But in, in Hawaii, there's a boat, really nice yacht, and, it, and, the, and on the back it says Satisfaction. That's, that's the name of the boat is Satisfaction. The theme song is from the Rolling Stones that he plays every time I go down to the dock because I can't get no satisfaction. That part's a lie. But I've seen the guy on the boat. And let me tell you something. Not judging the guy, not judging the boat. What I'm judging is, is, is having a really nice yacht does not mean satisfaction, okay? It does not mean happiness. Because you could go sailing all by yourself Marriage erect, kids just going nuts, and there is no satisfaction in that. But you can be in a little dinghy and doing the best you can and have, have your kids serving God and your marriage is pretty good and be completely satisfied, or at least fairly satisfied. On your way to satisfied. That makes sense? All right. Let's get back on track because I want to let you go. Don't get distracted by the comparison trap. Okay? No one can measure up to the highlight reel. God has not called you to be somebody else. He has called you to be you. He has called you to stay in your boat and go the direction that he wants you to go in. And so today, what do you fight? What do you fight? So you have the zeal to be Peter, but also have the determination of the disciples. So I'm gonna ask you today not to focus on the wind, but to focus on the obedience. Focus on what God has asked you to do. See, the easiest thing to do is to go with the wind, the easiest thing to do is to go back to what you were because let me tell you something, if the disciples would have quit rowing, where would the wind have blown them? Right back to where they started. And today you might feel like you're not making any progress. Sometimes staying in the same place is progress because you're not going backwards. Those guys were rowing and rowing and rowing. They were trying to get to where Jesus had and there was resistance. See, anything worth going toward will always have resistance. God doesn't want you going back. God doesn't want you going back to that. I'm gonna have our worship team come on up here. We're gonna close with this song. I will tell you this, is backwards is the easiest direction to go. It is. Backwards is the easiest direction to go. Determination and a plan will keep you from going back. A successful life is like most of the time rowing into the wind. It's resistance. It's resistance. Two questions I wanna leave you with. Number one is this. What wind is against you right now? What is it in your life that you're facing the most, okay? What is against you right now? And, and what happens if you quit? What happens if you quit? There's two things that you need to deal with. Okay, what's against you? And what happens if you quit? What happens if you just take the boat and say, God, I don't wanna row the boat anymore? What happens if you just get rid of the boat? What happens? You don't get to your destination, do you? Okay, God wants you to make it, Okay, people need you to make it. I don't know if you saw my post of the Corvette this week. Oh, it's beautiful. And then I saw, again, going down Meridian Road at a stoplight, and some teenagers also saw it. They were sitting in there like, hey, rev it up, and it was beautiful. I think the sound of heaven when we, is the rumble of a Corvette engine. When we, I don't think his angel's singing yet. It's just like, and it was gorgeous. But his license plate said, don't quit. I loved it. Okay, I loved it because that's what God's saying to us today. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to just ask you a question. You know, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and that is just a decision you've never made, maybe you've put it off, I would say don't wait another day. 
Okay, God loves you so much. Take your walk with God serious. If you don't have a walk with God, according to the Bible, as in we need to give Jesus Christ our whole life, and you need to do that today, there's a heaven and there's a hell. Guys, there's a lot of people afraid of death right now. That's what the fear is, is death. But the Bible says that Jesus has conquered death. My question is, do you have Jesus in your life? Do you have Jesus in your life? Have you asked him to forgive you and come into your heart? If you haven't made that decision, the Bible says that when you die, that hell is to pay. We pay for eternity with our own sins. We pay for it by hell. And, And Jesus came so that we didn't have to. But we have to personally ask him to forgive us and ask him to be the Lord of our life and to be our savior. That's the deal. And if you need to make that decision today, I'm gonna ask you, if you, if that's you, just lift your hand up. Nobody's looking around, but just between me and you and God, if you need to make that decision and pray that prayer, I don't want you to leave this place not have, having had the choice. And does anybody need to give their life to Jesus today at all? Okay. All right, don't see any hands. I hope that means we're all good. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, as we go into this one last song, that you would rise faith in our hearts where there's fear, Father, replace it with faith because you've got this. And we love you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.